This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Welcome to Listen In, a bite-sized bio podcast series allowing you to access the best of bite-sized bio webinars wherever you are. Hello, this is Ava Amson, welcoming you to this bite-sized bio panel discussion, which today is sponsored by Thermo Fisher Scientific. Thermo Fisher Scientific is committed to pushing science and technology a step beyond where it is today, with a mission to enable their customers to make the world healthier, cleaner, and safer. Today's panel discussion is focused on the benefits of combining morphometric data with flow cytometry. The panel for today's discussion consists of three experts in the field of flow cytometry. We have Dr. Hervé Lusch, team lead of immunophenotyping services at the Center for Immunophenomics in France. Dr. Daniel Vossel, assistant director of the Michigan State University Flow Cytometry Core Facility. And Dr. Bethan Jones, senior product owner at Thermo Fisher Scientific. Dr. Hervé Luce studied developmental immunology at the University of Ulm for his PhD thesis and at the Centre d'Immunologie de Marseille-Lumédie during his postdoctoral fellowship. In 2012, he joined the Centre for Immunophenomics to lead a team of engineers in the immunophenotyping module. In charge of the Centre's immunophenotyping service, Hervé directs the operation of standardized methodologies, functional assays and high-content cytometry panels. Dr. Daniel Vassell holds a dual PhD in chemical engineering and quantitative biology with over a decade of experience in multidisciplinary research fields, including immunology, genetic engineering, exosomes and nanoparticles, and single cell genomics. He currently serves as an assistant professor in the Department of Pharmacology and Toxicology at Michigan State University. He's also the assistant director of the Michigan State University Flow Cytometry Core Facility. And Dr. Bethan Jones holds an MA in Biological Sciences from the University of Oxford, an MPhil from the University of Cambridge, and a PhD in Proteomics and Environmental Microbiology from the University of Southampton. Bethan joined Thermo Fisher Scientific in 2019 after multiple postdoctoral appointments in phytoplankton physiology and biochemistry as part of large multidisciplinary NASA, NSF, and EU-funded programs. Bethan is currently a senior product owner in R&D at Thermo Fisher Scientific, who leads software design efforts for several cell analysis instrument platforms. Now, in today's discussion, we're talking about new technology in flow cytometry. So let's start with a little bit of background of that. Um, so Bethan, can you tell us what is the Attune SitePix? Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say it's a real pleasure to be here today um, talking with you all about this technology. So the Invitched in Attune SitePix cytometer is an imaging enhanced flow cytometer, and it offers um, up to four lasers and up to 14 detectors. It combines acoustic focusing flow cytometry with a high-speed camera, um, and that enables users to collect high-performance uh, fluorescent flow cytometry data um, from cells while also capturing bright field images. And this actually provides the ability for a user to match images to their data to better understand what dots on plots actually are and, and allow an assessment of the morphology and quality of, of the cells or particles they're analyzing. And, and how does the imaging integrate into the flow cytometry workflow? 
Yeah, so what's really great about the SitePix cytometer is that image acquisition is actually done alongside normal flow cytometry workflows uh, without the need to prep samples for imaging. So imaging capability is actually embedded within the Attune cytometric software. Um, this is so a user doesn't actually have to use separate software to control the camera or integrate imaging data into their workflows. Um, also because acoustic um, focusing technology is used to align cells for analysis, um, cells are actually tightly lined up at the point of interrogation. And this provides two benefits. Um, firstly, um, it allows us to run samples as up to one mil per minute without, um, while retaining high data quality. And secondly, it makes sure that the cells are really nicely lined up for optimal imaging. And, and what does the software then do with all these images? Um, so you can imagine, right, because the ability of the site picks uh, to acquire up to 6,000 images per second, um, the amount of data that can be generated for each experiment would actually require a user to spend a lot of time analyzing um, images to discern morphological features that uh, might be unique to certain populations of cells or indicative of certain phenotypic states. Uh, so for this reason, we actually recently launched uh, the capability for um, automated image analysis on images acquired by the SitePix cytometer, which I'm really excited about. Um, embedded within the software are machine learning models. Um, they're actually being pre-trained um, to automate image processing and quickly generate information for over 20 morphological parameters from objects identified from each image. Uh, we call these masks. And um, from these, we can get information um, on features uh, such as size, complexity, texture, shape. And these can be plotted in tandem uh, with fluorescence and scatter parameters. And what's really great about this is you can actually um, gate your samples based on these parameters to improve your gating strategy. Um, you can look at complex samples in a much deeper way. And you can also look for novel phenotypes um, while developing new applications. To give you an example, uh, we can now use one of our parameters, which is particle count, to differentiate um, singlets uh, from doublets and aggregates. And uh, this now enables us to better gate our data, meaning that we no longer have to rely on just scatter alone. Uh, with automated image analysis, uh, we can now get distinct information in the software about particle concentration and discrete particle sizes. So no longer do you have to say, you know, an object is bigger based on, you know, higher scatter values. Now you can actually say it's six micron and six microns in diameter. And so you can start to think about your data in a very quantitative way. That, that sounds really useful. And can it be used with any kinds of cells or what cells can it be used for? Yeah, um, at the moment, the software algorithm has been trained um, and validated using human leukocytes and bead models. But there is a planned update that will enable um, the analysis of many other cell types. Oh, <laughs> that sounds great. Now, um, I want to move over to uh, Daniel and Nerve. I've got a question for both of you. Um, in your opinion, what would you say are the greatest benefits to integrating bright field imaging and image-derived data with traditional flow cytometry data? Um, let's start with Daniel. You know, it's a great question. And I think you can break it down into two aspects, uh, especially the running at core, the benefits for a core and the benefits for individual research projects. 
for a core, it's great for data reproducibility um, and just data quality in general. So often our users just never look at cells under a microscope. So the fact that now there's an image associated with that dot, um, it's really easy to say, you know, there are no cells in this sample or to say, wow, look at how complex this is. Hey, maybe we could do better for fixation. There seems to be a lot of blubbing um, as well as just a lot of really cool, crazy things that we seem to find, too. Something that you thought was always just a population of aggregates is actually a unique cell population that's just much larger. Um, or you go down to the debris, which you would assume is debris, isn't necessarily always debris. So we're finding lots of really interesting things, and adding that extra dimension really is helping researchers to refine their own protocols, their own experiments. From a research perspective, it's like I just said, it's identifying those rare and unique populations that we're just so used to sort of discarding. And it sort of brings that that sense of wonder back to science where we're adding this whole new dimension of images and image features. And it's, you know, I can't wait to see what my samples will look like and what I'll find. Yeah, it uh, sounds like there's lots of opportunities. Hervé, what, uh, what do you think? What are the benefits in your view? Yeah, I fully agree with what uh, Daniel just said, especially, you know, uh, uh, working in a core facility, we, we, we do run a lot of multiplex, uh, I mean, complex samples, and sometimes a simple scatter is not achievable. So you, you need to, you know, find your path uh, through this uh, soup of cells that you are debris or, you know, you don't really know. And, and now you can really relate to the images to, to make good assumption about what you are looking at. Um, and, and, and when you imagine what you had to do before, Basically, you would uh, look at your scatter, define maybe a zone of interest, then do single cell sort, and maybe do then cytospin to have an idea of the image, then have an idea of the size. I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, here in a, in a simple uh, analysis, I mean, just by characterizing your sample, you get all this information. So for me, that's a massive advantage for sample characterization, yeah. And, and I'm just going to stick with you for the next question for now, Hervé. Um, can you, do you have any specific examples, a particular instance where this technology helped you learn something important about the sample that you would not have been able to discover without it? Yeah, I mean, that's basically the first experiment we did on the side peaks, and it was a full blast uh, on our side. So it was an experiment that we were doing in collaboration with uh, Cancer Institute, and they wanted to study Schwann cells of the pancreas. And uh, as you said, from the introduction side, I am immunologist, so I had no clue about what I was looking at, right? And initially, I mean, the sample prep was kind of difficult. They wanted to do single cell RNA-6, so you better have good, healthy cells uh, to run these assays. Um, and basically, we tried to sort out the cell of interest from the mess. Um, and uh, that has shown to be very difficult, although we tried to work a lot on the sample prep using solution to remove what we thought were debris. Mm -hmm. And until we went on the side picks, and then we saw it was cells. So obviously, then you design different uh, enrichment strategies to purify your cells and get rid of the unwanted other cell type. But until we saw the image, we really had no really clear idea about what these particles were, whether they were debris, because they were really rather small, or true cells. And to me, it was very clear this, this has a, a strong added value, because on, on just one analysis, we, we could fix this. Uh, and obviously, we would have saved it would have saved us a lot of time in uh, helping us uh, helping our partners on this on this project. So, yeah, yeah. that's a, a very very for me uh, you know very strong um, uh, application uh, about this. 
Yeah. So I was gonna I was gonna ask you how did it contribute to the success of your research? But it sounds like it, it really saved you a lot of time. Was there anything else that that helped? Was that the so, main? So this is on that side, but we can continue because we we do now lots of single cell RNA seq assays, and and here elf elf is very mm -hmm. critical, right? Because otherwise you get ambient RNA that gets you know encapsulated with your cells. Uh, so you can really look at the cell elf using this image parameter. And that's something that some eyes sometimes, you know, by only eyeballing is difficult. But with the AI and the enrich, um, the enrich parameters that are uh, accessible through uh, the SidePeak software, now you you have a metric. You know, it's not eyeballing. It's really something you can quantify, and, and that uh, basically you can imagine having a score about cell health, mm -hmm. about the sample, and that's something that you know nobody can argue about that because it's a metric. Right. Yeah. And that's something I like very much about this, uh, because sometimes, you know, especially this experiment costs a lot of money. So you, you, you need when you work with people also to have ways to tell them, you know, eh, maybe work a little bit more on your sample prep and, and try to get more healthy cells. And then you will have good results at the end. So, yeah, that would be my take on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. And, and Daniel, do you have any specific examples of how uh, SidePix has helped you? Ton. It has really been revolutionary for for us. Um, we we use this instrument to replace an old LSR two because we really wanted the benefits of the attune, and there was this new feature of the site fix market. Why why not? Um, and since then, we've just opened up a number of just brand new projects, and not just even new projects, just new fields and avenues of research that a lot of our researchers never thought was possible. Um, just from phenotyping, we don't have an immunology department at MSU, so it's just a myriad of projects that are dealing with from plant cells to bacteria to all different types of human cells. Um, just phenotyping changes with environmental variables. How is this changing the shapes, the sizes of different bacteria to endospore projects where they're looking at population dynamics for how these things, you know, gestate into the different morphologies, something that was never even possible before to study. And now we're doing, you know, high dimensional reduction and they can plot out the exact distribution and propagation of these different endospore species. Um, it's It's been phenomenal and it's a ton of fun just going into new labs and just saying, what has been impossible before? What do you wish that you could do? Um, and a lot of times for us, the site fixes have been able to solve those issues. Wow. And yeah, of course, you work with um, a lot of researchers from different fields. You have, uh, have you noticed that um, certain fields are more, um, <laughs> this is, sounds like I'm deliberately making this pun, but are more attuned to it? <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's it's we have a lot of researchers doing stuff with bacteria that are doing stuff with plants as well as some that are doing, you know, immunolog immunological work. It's been applicable to everybody. I think that that's what's been unique and surprising. And when you consider the future of this technology, I get excited for people that aren't in these fields that are thinking, oh, well, that would work for us. You know, people that want to look at nanoparticles on these attunes and look at different size shape morphologies with different synthesis methods. Um, it just gets me excited. And with a lot of new instruments that come out, it's something that's just better or higher resolution. You don't often get something that's just new and gets you excited about science again. And I see that with our researchers across all of these fields. Um, you know, I guess, you know, Herbert, you could comment too. How often do you have people come into you being like, was this possible? And just getting excited other than like, hey, flow guy, run my samples. So that's, yeah, that's special. <laughs> 
And and I, I guess again for you also the same question, Daniel. How how do you think it's been contributing to the success of people's research? Like I said, it's it's really been groundbreaking with this endospore project with the researcher here, um, Nina Whale. Um, it's opening up a whole new field of work for you know population dynamics within bacteria within you know host pathogen interactions. Um, it's it's been big. And again, if you haven't really used the attune, you're thinking, yeah, but I don't want to you know have to go through all this image prep. It's just there. I mean, you don't even have to use the images. It's already a high throughput, high speed cytometer with a state of the art auto sampler. And now we tell people just to turn on their images. And it's a lot of fun for me when I have a little bit of time to go back and look at people's images and data and be like, wow, did you even realize that in that treatment that there was a statistically significant difference in like the size and the morphology of your cells? I'm like, no, we never knew that before. Then the field has never known that before. And it's just spinning out all of these new ideas and projects. That's amazing. It sounds like there's lots of new, yeah, new ideas. Um, so I, I do want to turn it to our audience at this point. Um, we've got a poll for you that should be coming up on screen right now. And the question is, do you think imaging enhanced flow cytometry will have a similar trajectory of becoming commonplace as spectral flow has? So I'll give people just a few seconds to answer that before we continue. And we will get back to the results of this poll later when we have the Q&A. But for now, um, I've got another question, and this is a question for all of you. Um, when spectral flow cytometry first came onto the market, many people did not really see themselves ever using it. And of course, that perception has changed dramatically over time. And now spectral flow cytometry is quite commonplace. So. The same question for you, really, as I'm asking the audience is, do you think imaging enhanced flow will have a similar trajectory? Um, let's start with Hervé for this one. Yeah, I really do think, do believe that it will have a, a similar trajectory for, for the simple reason, especially for immunologists that initially they disregard a bit the technology thinking, oh, it's just, you know, looking at the, the blood debris, you know, what? but I see I see it further. Um, we, we tried actually to use the image parameters to decipher some uh, further heterogeneity that we would not detect otherwise with fluorescent marker, just based on image parameters and try to correlate that. And we did find heterogeneity. So uh, at the moment, I cannot mention, you know, what that means. That's uh, so, so in field of investigation, but to me, it could be very well related to different activation, uh, activation stage of cells or different uh, metabolism. And, and when you open this door, that opens your door to single cell metabolism, something that is still very difficult to do, and here you could do it, you know, together with your um, uh, fluorescence analysis. And, and to me, this is this is really exciting. And I really look forward to, to, to develop that and, and work along that line. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Um, Daniel, what are your thoughts on this? Absolutely. Um, the caveat being a lot of different companies now have spectrum. I think that that's been sort of the big reason that it started to explode is accessibility. And I think that the limitation with imaging and cytometry for the longest time has been 
been that limitation that it's only with one company and not everywhere. So it's great to see Thermo went through the field, but it's also going to rely on things like thermal technology, the acoustic focusing, that you don't have to have something like speed beads, that you are not sacrificing resolution in your data, you're not sacrificing speed, they're there. And as that technology itself starts to get implemented, I think it's really going to take off because just like spectral, you're getting all of these new parameters. You're going to start finding all of these new things out. And just like as survey said that, you know, we can't speak to too, but there are some very unique characteristics of cells and treatments that you can characterize in cell, different cell populations just based off of these um, morphological data sets. It's, it's pretty astounding. Yeah, if I may also uh, add something on, on this is, yeah. is that, uh, you know, when people uh, first see the, the instrument, they, they believe, oh, and then I will need to dig through all these images to understand something. You know, I, I had no time. So why should we bother doing this? Mm -hmm. But the AI is so robust. I mean, we, we really benchmarked it. It's, it's very impressive. Uh, it's not like you, you would transfer, you know, some uh, issues in focusing with your eyes, a uh, normal uh, hemato, uh, semi-automatic uh, semi counter. Um, you, you don't have this issue at all because it's quite robust uh, from upfront. And then you have all these new image parameters that you can analyze without, as you said, Daniel, virtually not looking at the image. You can look back to confirm something, an observation, but you can now use the whole machine learning algorithm uh, and working on this image parameter to fish out heterogeneity. And, and this is the blast thing, you know, it's really just something... Because, I mean, these techniques now are there. People know how to use them for spectral flow, for example. And you just add a new modality into your data set and do new findings. I think that's a hard thing to get a, a sense of if you haven't started to use the software yet. It's not just images and your flow data. I mean, they talk back and forth. You can look at the images and go like, what are these weird things? Click on them and it'll show you where they are in your flow plots. You can look at your flow plot and highlight a population and say, show me all those cells. And then they show up there. And if you go, but I don't have room for terabytes and terabytes of data. Again, because the image analysis is within the software already, when you export just a basic FCS file, it's just a new column shape it's just a new column size so the data files are not any larger in any significant manner and you get all the extra data it's i mean i think that we and you know a survey says the more people start using it start talking about it it's just like why why are people not using this stuff it's amazing so that's my thought yeah so you one of the things yeah oh sorry Eva. i was gonna uh, I, I was gonna just ask i was gonna move to you anyway i was gonna say that you uh, both think it will be commonplace um bethan what do you think <laughs> well it's great to hear you know herve and daniel talk about the software because we work really hard on trying to make it user friendly and as um embedded in normal workflows and intuitive as possible for our users um for me on a on a personal perspective um even when you're embedded in the R&D of software and instrumentation, we still, the, the level of excitement we have when we see new images come up on the screen. Um, during development of the site picks, one of the things we actually did was we went out to a local pond and we just got pond water. And at that point, we'd just been running beads through the instrument and uh, PBMCs. And then we started seeing all these diatoms, which was amazing to see all these different shapes and samples. We even actually just got you know, tiny little cells, little diatoms from a puddle outside the building. You know, just the ability to see life everywhere is fascinating. And um, 
one of the things I'm most excited about in R&D at Thermo Fisher is seeing how our customers use all these different parameters. Mm. You know, we have over 20 parameters embedded within the software for data discovery. And um, I think it having it embedded within the software in such an intuitive way with plots really enables people to click around and have that exploration and start looking at new phenotypes and start looking at things. But I really do believe with the site picks, you know, and I'm not just saying this, you know, from an R&D perspective, I've been a user of flow mm -hmm. cytometers, you know, I've done cell sorting, I've struggled with sample quality and not knowing whether my environmental sample is full of debris or whether I have just very weird organisms there. Mm -hmm. The ability to just very, very quickly see things, uh, it, it gives me additional faith in the sample that I'm investigating, in the robustness of my data for publication. And, you know, as somebody who's done molecular biology and flow cytometry all of their career, I hadn't really a lot of the time seen the things that I've been analyzing. I've assumed the dot on plot is a certain thing based on certain parameters, based on scatter, based on what I've dyed it to. Um, or, you know, it, it it's given me this whole new level um, of ability to see what I'm doing, but also appreciation for the biology. It's very easy to forget that these are actual cells sometimes, not just dots on a plot, and to actually start to see um, fine scale morphology and, you know, um, you know, little tiny bits that are, you know, like that seeing these cells are not these smooth entities, but they have, you know, little tufts coming off them or all different things that I would never have even discerned from a scatter plot has been absolutely fascinating. So I think once a user gets their hands on it, they can automatically see that it can be very transformative to their data. And um, we have users now here at Thermo in our R&D labs who actually don't, you know, now they've had a site picks, they just can't go back to non-imaging because they just rely on it. They rely on the visuals so much to help their gating strategy that um, it seems that once you've been given that ability, it's almost, you don't want to go back to not having it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you, you get used to it real quick to just see images that you never saw before. Exactly, yeah. Um, so my last question for all of you before we open it up to the audience is, um, what do you foresee for the future of combining morphometric data with flow cytometry data? Um, let's start with Daniel again for this one. You know, I, I see it being the same leaps that we've seen with spectral, like the ability to characterize, you know, out of a, a mixed sample individual cell types based off their autofluorescence. I think we'll be able to do that with morphological data. Um, I know that we have been able to, again, with, with these endospore projects. Um, and I look forward to its integration and all of the other advancements in cytometry. Um, as, as I know that Herbig can, can comment on, I know that Bethan could comment on with, you know, doing marine samples. If we could just see what those images are before they go through the sorter, you know, we don't need the morphological data too, but just those images are going to be great. When you start combining then an imaging with morphological data and spectral, I mean, that's just kind of like a mind blown with like the overwhelming amount of data and the possibilities. Um, and like I said, it's just, it's going to be really cool as the technology gets out there to see what other people start coming up with when we start seeing all of just the unique perspectives that are out there and scientists and using flow data. Yeah. Um, Hervé, what do you think? What Can you predict the future? <laughs> what do you think? So, I, I will not predict future. I, I think I think also, uh, I mean, we just we, dis we discussed about this. 
that it will uh, improve drastically uh, the way people you know deal with their sample and and this in itself for 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 the quality of science in in globally is very very important uh, the other aspect to me that matters is the additional way you know it's it's nice to to i mean it's it's good to say to someone your sample is not good but it's better if he if he can objective that you know with, with his eye and then he, you know things with, is simpler so i think for core facilities we will make life easier uh, so that's also nice. And now on 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 the, the topic we are working on, especially cancer, you know, where um, a tumor uh, teals tumor infiltrating leukocyte within the tumor might have different uh, um, uh, metabolic status. Again, I mean, I, I just been discussed about this, but I, I'm true believer that uh, the the shape of the cells is linked to activation for some cell types and that will help discover new things, maybe help um, identify treatment that are efficacious uh, with these uh, morphologic um, uh, parameters on one side. And on the other side, uh, you know, we know that uh, there are some switch also in metabolic activity of, of lymphocytes in response to treatment. So that might help actually uh, identify uh, treatment important for cancer, and this in my set, you know, in what I'm doing every day is is something very important, and I'm, I'm so glad that we can uh, now address that with uh, with the site plates. Yeah, yeah. So I, my next question was going to be: um, Are there any specific applications that you're excited to see? But it sounds like you already have a vision of how it could how it could help in cancer research. Are there, are there any other applications that you're excited about? Uh, <laughs> the shop, maybe Daniel. <laughs> um, the the only one that I haven't seen is uh, we like to do a lot of outreach, you know, into the community and the rest. And it's hard to do that with cytometry, you know. A lot of microscopists have that easy. Um, but we've we've had a lot of success where we can go into high schools, and middle schools. You can go pick flowers, and we can look at pollen grains, and then you can start to decipher, you know, like. And side scatter, look, the difference in size. Kids can go bring pond water or well water and look at how pure and clean their water is. So it's it's also great that it's another engagement tool for the next generation. Yeah, definitely. Um, Bethan, anything else you foresee for the future? Um, I just think it's such a powerful tool to be, you know, in any lab that's looking at uh, particles or cells, you know, any, you know, running it through. Um, our flow cytometer has ended up becoming routine even for our cell culture facility. We're able to detect whether cultures are becoming contaminated ahead of um, uh, other detection techniques that take a couple of days. Um, I, I just see, for me, I think the possibilities are really endless, and I just look forward to seeing how it's going to be adopted. Um, from a personal level, um, I'm very excited about what the future will bring for, um, you know, looking at, like, you know, Hervé said, the physiology of cells is the ultimate expression of um, everything that's going on, the genomic uh, data, you know, the, the, the proteome, what you basically have in the, the very fundamental level, the physiology of the cell and how it's expressed and how that cell ends up looking is so fundamental to a lot of um, of cell function that um, I'm just really fascinated to see how these nuances that imaging will bring um, that have so far not been seen in a high throughput way can actually be analyzed. And I believe that um, adoption of this technology will really um, make data a lot more robust. Um, I think that it will lead to um, 
you know, a lot more faith in some rare data analysis, for example, when you can say a rare population really is cells. Um, I, I just think, you know, it, 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 it kind of, you know, is a paradigm shift in that it just adds that additional element of um, truth, but also um, a whole new uh, suite of um, morphometric uh, non-label parameters that um, where we're going to go with this next, I, I, I just think um, the next five years are going to be very, very exciting. Yeah, so it sounds like lots of exciting things happening with flow cytometry. So I think it's time we open up this discussion to questions from the audience. So as I mentioned earlier, um, we're going to start this with the poll results, but while we take a look at those, um, you can type any questions that you have for our panelists in the questions box that you can find on the top right of your screen. I don't know why I'm pointing that way. <laughs> um, if you have a question for any panelist in, in particular, please mention their name. Otherwise, I'll just throw your question out to the group. Um, so pretty much like our panelists, um, the audience also thinks that um, thinks highly of the future of imaging enhanced flow cytometry. 91.7% of you think it will have a similar trajectory of becoming as commonplace as spectral flow has. I think uh, that's great to see. Any, any comments on that from our panelists? <laughs> you can unmute yourself i think you're still muted nope i agree <laughs> yeah i mean we already heard that you all think something similar so i think we can move on to the questions and um this question came in um a while ago while we were all talking um daniel i'm gonna put this one to you is a small size scatter filter also available in side picks and do you have any experience with looking at vesicles on the side picks yep so we do a lot of exosome sorting um analysis with our influx that has a small particle detector um we run a few of those samples as well on the attuned side pick so it does have the um, side scatter filter um and um yeah, it has very similar results when you you know run it and clean it out and run it the same way that you should. Um, the interesting thing to me is it well, it doesn't take pictures of the exosomes; they're far too small. Mm -hmm. um, there have been a few cases where a researcher thought they had an exosome population, um, but the camera did pick up debris um, for every one of those instances. So they thought that it was an exosome again, just based on forward and side scatter. But the images helped us to go that's probably not actually an exosome population. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's another useful application of having the images. Um, the next question, um, can you use this for a subcellular location of biomarkers, for example, a nuclear versus cytosol? Um, who wants to address this? I can take this one. Okay. Um, so kind of unlike high content screening, um, we have rapid cell analysis at about 6,000 images per second, and uh, we are able to analyze flow cytometry up to 35,000 cells per second. But the uh, instrument currently is a bright field camera, so it does not currently provide information about subcellular content. But what is really interesting in some cells, uh, if you look at photosynthetic organisms, you are able to see 
the chloroplast, you are able to see some features in cells such as um, different uh, lipid bodies, for example. So it does depend currently on, uh, on your organism that you're looking at or your particles you're looking at. Um, but, um, but right now it is a bright field imaging, um, image assisted flow cytometer. Thanks. Um, and this next question is also for you, Bethan. Um, mm. Are there any plans to have um, additional colors added to side pics? We are always looking to innovate in flow cytometry and um, kind of make sure that our platforms meet user needs. So, um, you know, watch this space as we develop um, our platforms in the future. If I can unofficially speculate, when the engineers were installing it, there are spots for additional filters that aren't currently there. Ooh. That's good to know. So there's always room to grow. And um, this question, uh, let me put this to um, Hervé and Daniel. Um, can you think of any specific benefits for the attuned side picks for neuroscience research? Um. Yeah, maybe looking at the, the structure of the cell, you know, uh, whether they are elongated more or things like this, that, that could be seen on, on the side peaks. Maybe could be of interest to, to people. More than that, I'm not a neurobiologist, so I, I can't really say. <laughs> we have plans to currently look at cells such as microglia. Um, but I think the important thing is, you know, our resolution we validated down to is like 0.8 microns. So any uh, any cells that are of interest or any particles that are of interest can be interrogated in the same way that if you would look at particles on the flow cytometer, this just gives you the addition of just adding images, bright field images to them. So any applications that are currently done for flow cytometry for neuroscience would be covered by what the SitePix offers. The pipeline that, that we have for these new projects um is we don't we don't know right we don't know what it'll turn out um which is just really exciting but if you run the images under a few different experimental treatments right you can do high dimensional reduction and cluster analysis necessarily with the images and then look and have it return the imaging parameters and it'll just immediately tell you that you know of your whatever engine positive population there are two subpopulations you know based off of entropy or this shape or image feature um so that's kind of the first pipeline that we take users through to say like is this even going to matter for you um but in every case it has in every case there's been some subpopulation that is like further distinguished by these image or shape features and that again just really gets researchers start you know thinking and start planning future experiments and just kind of gets everybody excited again um, and then something that I kind of missed in an earlier question that I want to get back to. It was a long question. I only asked you half of it. Um, how is this technology different from the image stream um, make two? Yeah, it's um, it's slightly differentiated, actually quite differentiated. So SightPix is an imaging enhanced flow cytometer that's first and foremost um, a flow cytometer itself. Mm. So it doesn't require any changes to sample prep or run conditions that are actually required for the AMNIS image stream. Um, that's really the short answer of it. They're very different platforms. Um, and, and, you know, um, obviously the AMNIS has a lot of fluorescent capabilities, but this is in itself a flow cytometer. 
um, you can go and do flow cytometry as you would with any other flow cytometer and just with the benefit of imaging and not having to change anything about the way you do sample prep. Yeah, and if, if, I, if I may complement on that, I think the software mm -hmm. point is a very important one because I mean, the, the Mark II, you need to have an expert guy dedicated to, you know, setting masks and things. It's rather complicated to use. Um, I feel, uh, and actually that's why I never went into uh, into the Amnis platform um, because, uh, I mean, you, you, you have your people and they have a given time, you know, so you cannot just, you know, each application, then you have a new engineer. It's not possible. So um, with this one, uh, we, because the AI is doing the job for you, that means now you can just directly use uh, these parameters and mm -hmm. explore the data like this. So you don't have, you know, you don't set up masks, you don't, you don't do this. The AI does that for you, and that saves a huge amount of time. Mm -hmm. We yeah. literally have researchers that have undergrads like running this for them. So yeah, it sounds it sounds easy to use. <laughs> um, let me just check. Yeah, so I think we've gone through all of our questions, which means um, we have reached the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much to everyone that joined. And of course, thank you to the panelists for this exciting discussion. Um, for those of you in the audience with remaining questions, you can request to speak to a local technical specialist at Thermo Fisher Scientific by calling one 866 3560354 or emailing customercare at thermofisher.com. Thanks for joining us. Good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at Thermo Fisher Scientific and Bite Size Bio. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To view the full presentation of this webinar or to browse the Listen In series, please see the episode description for links. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.